Welcome to the Thanks Therapy Podcast. Before we start, if you're in crisis or need urgent support, please Google the Samaritans and the country in which you live. Help can be found online and via the phone. We also put local and national helpline numbers and links in the show notes and on social media. Don't suffer alone. Things can and will get better. Enjoy the show. Hello, I'm Hannah Lydon. And I am Dr. Emma Lydon, and this is our therapy appreciation podcast, Thanks Therapy. Where we hope to demystify, destigmatize, and encourage the appreciation of good and useful therapy. And today, Hannah, we have decided to open the can of worms that is the discussion of <laughs> bad therapy. Are you ready to get into this? Let's do it. I'm ready. Thanks Therapy! Thanks Therapy! Hannah, before we start, I wanted to just mention that Dr. Aaron T. Beck, the father of CBT, sadly died at the start of November at the age of 100. 100 years old. That is impressive. He was a very impressive individual and we have a lot to thank him for in the psychological community. Another famous invention of his is the Beck Depression Inventory, which I mentioned before on the pod. I remember. And that is a way of gauging a level of depression so it could be measured over time. It's very commonly used. Um, And he and his daughter founded the Beck Institute for Cognitive Behavioural Therapy. Yes. And he was noted for his writings as well on psychotherapy, psychopathology, suicide. And he published more than 600 professional journal articles and authored or co-authored 25 books. That is a lot. Yeah. So he was named one of the Americans in history who shaped the face of American psychiatry and one of the five most influential psychotherapists of all time. Wow. And I just wanted to acknowledge him, given the significant contribution he made to CBT. Absolutely. Um, thank you, Aaron Beck, and rest in peace. Mm. I know I have been disparaging about CBT on this podcast before. Hello, yeah. <laughs> but in seriousness, my preference for psychotherapy over CBT yeah. does not mean that I cannot recognise the massive significance of Dr. Beck's contribution to the world of talking therapy as we know it. So we are indebted to him. Absolutely, we are, yeah. So I just wanted to acknowledge that because I didn't know. The last time we recorded, I didn't know that he had died. I didn't know either. Yeah. So how this episode came about, Hannah, Mm -hmm. was I saw someone on Twitter who had tweeted that she wished people would stop talking about how therapy is the only way to deal with your mental health problems because for some people it just wasn't possible to access therapy. Um, And she said that she had helped herself with a range of really useful and free resources online, Mm -hmm. which they she then went on to list in the tweet. And this really sort of hit me and made me feel a bit guilty because clearly our whole thing has been like therapy is the way, the truth and the light. (laughs) But I do acknowledge that for a range of reasons, it just isn't possible for some people to get therapy or maybe not possible to get good therapy. Absolutely. Yeah, we uh, we've mentioned before. We can get carried away on this podcast and forget to acknowledge that therapy is, for most people, a luxury. Yeah. It's definitely a luxury for me. Mm. Um, It's time consuming. It's expensive. Waiting lists are a massive barrier if you choose to not go private because you can't. Mm -hmm. Um, And you and I are really lucky to be able to have had such good experiences. Yeah. That bears repeating. But we know it's it's not like that for everyone. Um, And of course, like even when you can find the time and money 
there are factors outside of your choosing that will often lead to the experience being negative, mm-hmm. which you cannot really control. No. So it's a massive outlay of effort in that in that sense. So we're going to talk about what can go wrong. We know it's not all sunshine and pickles. No, if only it was. But we we do have to be realistic and we, we recognise that we are enthusiastically promoting therapy. Yeah. But that, you know, the reality is it's not possible for everybody to, to do that or to find good therapy. I mean, we did talk about um, self-help resources and things like that on, on one of our episodes. Yeah. So I didn't want to go into that again. Yeah, yeah. Um, but while I was pondering this issue of are we being like, very one-sided in this and and maybe a bit naive and sort of being like get some therapy guys yeah yeah. um a couple of things came to my attention that were all very relevant to this so first of all i read an article that was published in the guardian it was actually published in july i think of this year of this year i think yeah and it was entitled it was devastating in inverted commas what happens when therapy makes things worse oh no And it was written by Amelia Tate for The Guardian. And it tells the story of a woman whose therapist essentially really overstepped the boundaries, uh, friended her on Instagram. Oh, no. And then sent her an inappropriate and sexually charged message. Yeah. No. So she stopped seeing him and then discovered subsequently that he was calling himself a psychotherapist, but he wasn't a psychotherapist. Shit. And then this article shared something that I have previously gotten wrong on this podcast. So basically it said that the terms counsellor, therapist and psychotherapist are not protected terms. You can call yourself any of those things if you want, apparently. So you had said before that those things are all protected terms, so they're not regulated? They're not protected. Those jobs are regulated, which I'll go into in a minute, but um, you can legally... You can call yourself any of those terms. That seems like a massive oversight. Mm. And that's very scary. I hope that woman is okay. Because mm-hmm. what a terrible experience. I know. But I know we've said like what qualifications a therapist needs to have. Yes. You have covered that quite well, actually. But I mean, I have never checked as a client. I have never asked for proof of qualifications I've never gone into therapist and said Mm. you know how do I know you're not just some some rando that is a very good point and and we have um talked about what what you should look for whenever you're seeing the the therapist blurb Mm -hmm. so what qualifications they might say that they have and also what regulatory bodies that they might say they are a member of Mm -hmm. um and I had previously said that those terms were protected but it's actually only the psychologist terms that are protected. So for me, in getting a doctoral level qualification and registering with the British Psychological Society, that means I can call myself a registered or chartered psychologist. Yes. But I couldn't before that point. Okay. And whenever you register, it's very specific about the terms that you can use. Mm. And you would, there would be um, repercussions if you decided to call yourself a clinical psychologist when you weren't a clinical psychologist. Yeah. You say you can only use certain terms. But that is not the case with counsellor, psychotherapist, therapist. No, it doesn't seem to be true of counselling and psychotherapy. Um, My understanding of it was as well, because I had said personally, I would, you know, people had called me a therapist and I associate a therapist with psychotherapy. Yeah, me too. 
now this I've come to as we've been doing this podcast and we've explored this area more and more I've come to realize that a lot of people use the term therapist like a humanistic therapist might might use that term as well mm. um so it's not exclusively to psychotherapy that was maybe just what I had thought yeah. so I would have never called myself a therapist I would have called myself a counselor and my mm-hmm. qualification was in counseling and I think I had I thought people were often working based off their own conscience, really, not using a title to which, you know, they're not entitled or they haven't had training. Yeah, I guess that's what one would wish or you maybe expect that. Yeah. But yeah, it's a a scary, serious type of a bad person who would lie about being qualified and pretend to be in a position to enter a therapeutic relationship with someone. Um, and not actually be that person. I know. This is making me worried about the world. <laughs> I know. And the badness. I know. Well, that we know there are, there are, you know, bad people out there in the world and some people are going to take advantage whatever way they can. And this guy decided to take advantage, um, you know, through, through therapy. So in the article, it said that this therapist had called himself a psychoanalyst. Oh. And he had training in hypnotherapy, which are two completely different disciplines, yeah. by the way. Um, but the girl who's calling herself Courtney in this, which I think is a pseudonym, okay, she didn't scrutinise his credentials when yeah, she found him by searching online. Who do- who does? I'd, I've never done that. I know. Well, this is, you know, that's what we, why we were trying to go over this in our early episodes to be like, this is what you should look for. This is what you might see out there. This is what yeah. it means, you know, so that people can be a bit more informed. But she said, um, a quote from the article is, I just assumed that all therapists had more or less the same capabilities. Um, and she terminated her sessions with this um, person <laughs> shortly afterwards and published um, a book under her pseudonym about her experiences called When Therapy Goes Wrong, A Personal Examination of an Unregulated Industry. Ooh, okay. And in it, she discusses a number of ways in which therapists can be harmful from inappropriate comments and gaslighting to like drinking with clients and and telling them they are beyond help, it says in the article. I mean, that all sounds really, really terrible. I think it would be an interesting read, though. Yeah, for sure. I'm interested that it's a personal examination of an unregulated industry mm. because the unregulated industry is quite damning. That it is. as a title is damning. That uh, makes me think of like, uh, you know, like multi-level marketing mm-hmm. stuff, which I, I and my naive peer view of therapy, I'm just like, that will never happen. Everyone <laughs> gets into it because they're good yeah. and they want to heal others. But obviously that's not the case. That can't be the case in any no. industry. Yeah, people get into to therapy and counselling as a profession for a lot of reasons and some of them are not um, super wholesome. They're more about their own desire for power or influence or, mm. I mean, one of the things that we talked about often when we were training was that some people got into it because they were really nosy. They like to know. Oh shit! Mm-hmm. There was oh, some gosh. people got into it because they liked to know other people's business and stories, and they were fascinated by all of that. I'm I'm really not a nosy person at all, so that it was so not grim. Was not interest me about that. Um, I've always kind of, I mean, I've spoken before on this ther- on this podcast about how I want to be a therapist, mm-hmm. and so a few friends have sent me that meme. It's like a thought bubble. That says like I want to be a therapist, and then inside the person's head it says I'm mentally ill. <laughs> oh, <God. 
terrible. But it's that sort of funny because it's sort of true. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, we talked about this and um, no, and maybe we didn't talk about it on the podcast, but we certainly talked about it in person that the most people who go into therapy have had some experience with mental yeah. illness themselves. I think it's a requirement at this stage that you have done therapy a bit. Oh, it, it's like 100% it's, a requirement it's a for requirement. literally any practitioner. Yeah, but like, you don't really get there without experiencing or being adjacent to mental illness. No, I think that's what leads, that's what opens the door for a lot of people yeah. when they see how someone can help them or what the process involves then a lot of people go, oh, this is really for me. And I suppose a lot of very sensitive people might suffer from psychological distress and therefore their 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 sensitivities are, you know, are there to be applied to therapy. Yeah, you know? they can lend themselves in that way. I mean, I think we're, we're really talking about the potential harm that can come from bad therapy. Yeah, absolutely. And again, on a Twitter thread from a therapist actually called Erin Stevens, she was discussing how she has had to specialise in helping clients who have been harmed in therapy. Mm. And then in this thread, a lot of people had shared their experiences of being dismissed, having their their emotions, their problems, their trauma dismissed or being re-traumatised by okay. the therapy process, wow. which I thought was quite serious. That sounds very serious, yeah. Um, and this leads us on, I think, to talking a bit about regulation. Mm-hmm. Okay, so because one answer to this problem is more regulation. Yeah. But there's actually a big controversy about regulation in the UK at the minute um, because the BACP, so the British Association of Counselling and Psychotherapy, it's one of the biggest regulatory bodies, obviously, of counsellors and psychotherapists in the UK. And it has decided to change... The, its way of registering therapists. Okay. So previously you would be registered or accredited or senior accredited and then they had a they had a category for supervisors as well. Um and the whole thing for many years has been you need to get accredited. So when you qualified as a counselor you were kind of like this is just the first stage. Now I'm going to work towards accreditation. Um, which is essentially like a post-qualification process that involves getting a certain number of practice hours. I think it's 450 practice hours and showing that you're completing supervision. And I think there's some written parts to parts to the process. Okay, yeah. And basically people have found that process quite restrictive. So some very experienced counsellors were unable to gain accreditation because their qualifications didn't meet the criteria. Um, Perhaps because their qualification was over two years instead of three, which is what what, why oh, I couldn't become accredited. Okay. Um. So, and just gaining an extra year somewhere else didn't work like that. So it had to be a, one qualification that lasted for a certain length of time. Hmm. Um. So that was a problem for people because they felt they were sort of locked out of the system. Um. And this process, but people have kind of worked hard and worked within that system or accepted whatever level they could achieve Mm. um, and just use you know showed their experience in other ways or whatever it was Um, but then they decided I think in the last year to change this process and in their blurb they say it is to make it more inclusive but the big problem is it's is that it's going to downgrade the status of many of their accredited counsellors so they currently if they're currently accredited some of them based on this new criteria are going to go 
down into registered. Oh, so they will lose accreditation. They'll lose accreditation. I mean, and that's are... what I think. That I, I've tried to look into this, but it's hard because you get people stating their opinions and they're not being clear about the content. And okay. it's hard to find somebody who is against the process explaining it in detail. Mm. But if you go onto the website, obviously the BICP are saying, this is great. Where do you see what we're doing? But I think that a lot of people are going to lose their status of whatever their status might be currently. It's going to change because of this new process. And I think it strongly favours psychotherapists who usually qualify with a higher level of qualification. Mm. So it's based on length of training, amount of experience hours, and also the level of training. And a psychotherapy training is usually a postgraduate qualification, whereas right. a counselling training is usually either, it's usually undergraduate really. Yeah, yeah. So, um, or graduate just, um, and it's so that it discriminates against humanistic therapists is the problem. And everybody is up in arms about this. But the difficulty is how do you protect clients without regulation? Yeah. You know? And also, I mean, all of that that you've described, there is um, like a systemic regulation mm -hmm. that like a way of overseeing what qualifications people have how they get them mm -hmm. but there I mean when we're talking about the potential harm done mm -hmm. in bad therapy that is much harder to regulate because you can't be in the room no nobody no ruling body or board can be in the therapy room they can't be in the room and that's why when you're training you have to record your sessions yeah. so that your trainers are literally like they're in the room so that they can see if there's any really, you know, significant problems. Like if you're trying to lead your client or if you, there's some things we're going to bring up in a little while, which you would hope would be picked up by okay. your tutors in a counselling <laughs> course. Um, but also you have supervision. So supervision yeah. is is designed as well to protect clients by supervising the practice of a of a counsellor or a therapist with a more senior practitioner. Yeah. Um, and there's no, as you say, there's no perfect way to do it because you can't literally sit in the room with the person mm -hmm. and check what they're doing. That's the minefield. That is a minefield. Well, I guess the, the point of this podcast. Yes. It's funny we should what mention it. it. <laughs> um, <laughs> the only thing we can do is try to protect ourselves and each other. Yes. By making the criteria for what constitutes good and useful therapy better known. Yeah. Um, because if you don't talk about things with people, you don't know what standards are. It's like people discussing their wages in, in the place that they work with other employees. Yeah. If you don't talk about it, you won't know. Yeah. Do you, know you don't that know that you're thing? being underpaid. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, or some similar analogy that makes more sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, when we were kind of doing our notes for this week, I was thinking there is in some ways like a scarcity mindset Mm -hmm. in the way that we talk about it um talk around therapy where it's like because it's hard to get it's hard to access it's expensive it's time consuming it is scary to actually put yourself out there and ask for therapy mm. so that when you do get it or when you manage to set yourself up with an initial appointment it seems out of pocket to be like yeah i don't i'm not really enjoying this um mm -hmm. or i don't i don't i'm not really feeling this um oh i didn't like what you said about such and such you're just there going Okay, great. I've made it. What yeah. now? You're very vulnerable. Like it is a vulnerable thing. So oh. to suddenly start, I mean, to make another job analogy, you don't turn up on the first day of a job and be like, 
the boss is a bit rude. Yeah. Or like, oh, you guys don't take a break. Oh, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. I mean, I've never really done that. You know, just going in and directly advocating for yourself is mm-hmm. quite a hard thing to do in Absolutely. any setting, let alone one where you are about to sort of lay out your deepest fears and insecurities to this stranger. I agree totally. And I think that, you know, you, as you say, you're vulnerable and also you've maybe been thinking, I have to get the therapy for a while or people have been saying, yeah. no, you have to give this a go or, or whatever. Or you've been on a waiting list for three years. Or you've been on a waiting years, list, yeah. So then on. you sit down with this person and it doesn't feel right. You think, I I can't just go, this doesn't feel right and leave again. Yeah, that w- that seems mad. Yeah, so I mean, I think that a lot of the things that we have done so far in this podcast have been to help people hopefully not end up in that position in the first place but that if they do they accept that that's just one of those things um and we put out the call to get some examples ideas of experiences of bad therapy this week thinking that we would use it as our problem but actually we got we got several good (laughs) examples so we thought we would integrate them into the episode discussion rather than leaving leaving them to the end And I think these fall into a couple of categories. So the one discussed in the Guardian article is clearly an example of overstepped boundaries, broken boundaries. But then there are experiences of misuse of counselling tools, um, an example of being ghosted. And one brilliant one about someone who literally it sounds like it was their first day on the job. Um, So I find a Psychology Today article that talked about this and stated that people often have bad experiences of therapy and these can be broadly divided into three categories. So the therapist, the bad therapist can be divided into three categories. So predators, Mm -hmm. inexperienced and poorly trained. Okay. So, so one of those is a lot more sinister than the other two. Predators is definitely the worst for yeah. sure. Yeah. But I think the Guardian article, I mean, all three types can do a lot of damage is the problem. Big time. You know? Yeah. So I think the Guardian article is example of a predator, obviously. Yeah. Um, And in our listener examples, I think we have some of the other categories. So do you want to read the first one, Hannah? Yeah, I'll do it. Um, so writer inner number one says following a nervous breakdown I was referred to hospital outpatient service I had to get my dad to drive me and he would leave me there and pick me up after I turned up four times and I would go in and sit for ages until someone in reception would say to me yes she isn't even here today I was in such a bad place I couldn't manage the bus I would have just had to sit and wait for my dad to collect me I gave up in the end that's awful that is so sad it's Sorry really that, that happened to you. It's horrific. Um, what we call nervous break, what we used to call nervous breakdown is now called a major depressive episode. Yeah. But that's by the by. That is just a horrendous experience. That's very sad. very upsetting. And I just think when people are in this vulnerable state to be so let down by someone who was either mixing up their appointments or maybe was off sick and there was some other management issue mm. or was in the process of leaving maybe. Because that is absolutely not done. There was one time where I double booked a client. It was borderline horrific. Like it was, it was a horrific experience. My boss had to step in to support the client who had arrived while I was with the other client. 
And there was literally an inquiry into it, like yeah. literally a workplace inquiry into it, because it's not an acceptable thing to do. Yeah, it's like it's really like your worst nightmare. It's It was my worst nightmare and it was awful. It took a long time to recover from. And I just, what I had done was I had put one person in the appointment space and then I had said to the other person, oh yes, you're coming at that time, aren't you? <laughs> and I hadn't put it in the system. Oh no. And so they both turned up at the same time. Oh my it was God. entirely my mistake. And and it was, it only happened once and it is human error. But the thing is, is they shouldn't have been left sitting in a waiting room for somebody to, to come out and say, oh yeah, they're not even here. Yeah. That is not. Not even once. Somebody. And that happened multiple times to this person. Yeah. No. Which is so, it to, I mean, it's demoralizing once. as well. This writer in her had unfortunately several other bad experiences with different therapists and said that the worst one like worse than being ghosted by that therapist. Which is bad. It's horrendous, yeah. Was a counsellor who kept asking them to repeat what you just said every time they said anything important and that this made them super uncomfortable. It would break their thoughts and openness and it was just very uncomfortable. Um, And I think that that is really telling, that that is a worse experience than Mm. going and sitting and and actually not being seen. So feeling not even important enough for the person to turn up for your appointment. Yeah. And yet this other experience they feel was worse for them. I guess because the first one, you can chalk it up to some kind of administrative error. True. Miscommunication. But this one is a case of unsuccess, not being listened to Mm. or being interrupted or that sensation that I think we've talked about before where you can see the technique in action. Yes. Which is like, my, I mean, I've had that before in therapy where I'll, I'll say something quite big and try to breeze over it because I don't want to talk about it. Uh-huh. And I'm stopped in my tracks by a skillful therapist who's like, say, say that, say more about that. Yeah. And I'm like, oh God, you got me sort of thing. Um, I did want to just point out that this writer inner said that the bottom line they felt was that they had to weed through these bad, these crap experiences. Oh God, yeah. In order to find these, some amazing ones. And whenever they talk to people about therapy, they say, I had to go through all these crap experiences, but I've had some amazing ones. Mm. I just wish, you know, the system wasn't such that, you know, I feel like these are examples of, are pretty bad, really, in the scheme of things. I have had bad experiences in, in, um, therapy as well I think we have talked about it before my experience where I mean it's difficult when you are in the biz yeah so for when sure. you're a counsellor and you go to counselling you know usually what you'll do is at the start you'll say yeah no I'm I'm a counsellor I, I think at this time I was actually working as a counsellor working as a counsellor um you know I've been in the field for a number of years and so that makes most counsellors nervous unless they're really really you know, yeah, know what they're doing. Self-assured. Yeah, super self-assured and really know what they're doing. And this person, whether it made them nervous or not, the thing was, is that it was like, you know, in, in Maz, when they say, show you're working, mm-hmm. I could see his working. Yeah, yeah. So I knew he was going to like offer empathy yeah. next and he was going to, you know, well, he was reflecting or he's summarizing or whatever. Yeah. It totally takes you out of it then. You just think oh, that this person is playing a role really, you know, yeah. it's not a relationship. So, this leads very nicely onto the next example mm-hmm. that somebody has written in very kindly to us. So this writer in her says, 
One of the first times I was at a therapy session, the practitioner was really heavy handed with some of the tools in inverted commas. Mm. So after multiple times of having my thoughts really cumbersomely summarized and multiple reflecting back, I had to ask the therapist to stop reflecting what I was saying back. I explained that it totally took me out of the session and aggravated me. Felt like I was being processed by a therapy machine rather than a person having a skilled conversation. That's pretty tough. Because, I mean, what can you do? That that therapist or counsellor probably was like, I am applying my training. Uh-huh. I remember what I've learned and this is my time. And it just, it didn't match with what this person needed, which was maybe more... Uh, sort of backseat listening mm. like taking a step back and just getting it all out there yeah. kind of thing rather well, than applying sounds, technique yeah so but it also sounds robotic doesn't it yeah it sounds like it wasn't well done even if yeah. that's what they had wanted in session I mean I do think that this falls into probably both the poorly trained and the inexperienced but I think probably more the poorly trained yeah yeah um, because Whenever you're like in your first counselling certificate and you start to learn about techniques of um, like communication techniques that you're going to use, like questioning, you learn about questioning, mm-hmm. you know, like an open question, a closed question, yeah. you know, <laughs> reflecting, paraphrasing, summar- summarising, you learn all those things. And at the fir- at the start, at the very start, you sort of grip on them and you think, God, how do I do that right? How do I do paraphrasing right? How do I do summarising right? And what should happen by the end of your training is that you shouldn't be thinking about those things at all because it's a human conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. first and foremost, it's a human conversation. Um, and it's funny that that, that writer in her made me think about um, a book called The Skilled Helper by Jared Egan, mm-hmm. which was um, something that we were quite keen on whenever we were in our counselling training. Um, I say we because it was one of my one of the people that I was on the course with. Um, David was really into this book, so he had a copy. I had a copy, and uh, Jared Egan is a positive psychologist, and um, it was quite solution focused. But it was all about the the that it was a collaborative relationship yeah. between the client and the therapist. Um, and I think when you think about it more that way you stop thinking that you're having to do something to the client, like you, you're you not having to do a technique to the yeah. client yeah, yeah. or apply a tool, that actually it's a two-way conversation and it's about you facilitating their process and their their story. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's per per training really in that example. Yeah, I have had I have had an experience of that as well. I think I've I've talked before about um these are two different examples of bad therapy right. just to give and these aren't the only ones okay. before I found my current therapist who I think is the best therapist in the world probably. Yeah. Um, but I had a therapist one time, oh, she was a counsellor because it was CBT mm-hmm. um, and there was um, a serious reliance on worksheets. Oh, and yeah. so I arrived kind of being like, oh, I'm just really hoping that this will be good. Yeah. It'll go over well. Um and I was given homework the first week and I was like, okay, yeah, I can do that. And then the next week I forgot to bring it because yeah. I was really depressed yeah. and couldn't really function. And it was a bit of a problem yeah. that I had forgotten to bring the worksheets back. And I was like, oh, yeah, sorry. And she didn't really know what to do in the rest of the session. Yeah, There was no other stuff. 
And I was kind of hoping for a bit of like, oh, well, we'll, we'll just chat and how have you been this week? Mm-hmm. But what she did instead was explain to me why the worksheets were really <gasps> important. <laughs> oh, no. And I was kind of just sitting there like, I just made me completely disengage because mm-hmm. I was like, listen, I didn't give that much of a shit about the worksheets to begin with. Yeah. But now I'm sort of being scolded for not bringing them back in. Um, so that didn't work, needless to say. Yeah. And again, either inexperienced or poorly trained, because I think, you know, while worksheets can be helpful sometimes, they should be complementary to anything that you're doing. Yeah. And also there needs to be an acceptance that most of your depressed clients will struggle to complete worksheets. <laughs> yeah. They're struggling to complete their daily tasks of living. Like, you know, yeah, that that's was very the whole much point. the case. Yeah. Um, I listen to a podcast with two therapists and the name escapes me at the minute. <clears throat> I wonder, is it Therapists in the Wild? But they're both clinical psychologists and the the podcast is about dialectical behavioural therapy. Ooh. Which we haven't talked about much on the pod yet. Have we not? I don't think so. I think I've brought it me up. Me and you have talked about it in real life. We've talked That's, about it in real life, the yeah. The lines are beginning to blur. I know. We need to keep an eye on that. Oh, I don't know how <laughs> we'll do it, but... Um, and they, so they will do a little task each week where they will essentially, um, one of them will share a problem and they'll use dialectical um, techniques on it. Mm-hmm. And then they'll come up with, um, you know, a way of approaching this problem that they their homework is to do that over the next week. Oh, cool. And so then the next week they'll check in with them. Well, did you do your homework? And the last one I was listening to, like, <laughs> no, I didn't really do it because there was a bit of a change in the, the routine at home. And so I just didn't get around to doing it. And they're like, oh, you see, this shows us why we should be understanding whenever people don't do their homework because oh it God, can yeah. be difficult. So I think that, unfortunately, you had an experience where the person was not being understanding of... She was not impressed at all. No. And nor was I. No. Anyway, it ended, you know, amicably. That's good. I don't want to I don't want to trash talk anyone on this podcast, even no. though I kind of do do it. Do you want to hear the last um, submission that we got for bad therapy? Yes, let's hear it. So this one is pretty straightforward. Waited like two years... Got a therapist called Steve, not his real name, on the NHS. Mentioned I had played rugby before. He would only talk about rugby every (laughs) session because he also liked rugby and wouldn't talk about my problems. I was only 19 and too shy to ask him to stop, so I just stopped going. Right. A tale as old as time, surely. It's a tale as old as time, like in the pub. If you (laughs) mention something and somebody then won't stop talking about it. Yeah. But really, if... This Come person on, is being man. paid. It's just ridiculous. It doesn't, I, I just don't understand what the thinking was behind that or whether they were just like, I'm just going to have a chat with this person. Yeah. Maybe they seemed really young at 19. And so they were like, I'll just make it a chat about rugby. They like rugby. I like rugby. Let's chat together. Like if you've done any kind of training, you know, it's more than a chat. Like, what are you doing? No. If you're just trying to chat and like, it's not really about having stuff in common necessarily. No. Like you don't ni- need to like the same sports. And it's a little bit of an underestimation of the client for the therapist to go, right, they've said this thing. I'm going to use that thing to connect with them because that's that's the only way that I can think of to do that. Mm-hmm. Or like they don't have any other interests. So I need to make common ground with them. Like that's a little bit like 
reductive or something rather than just being like, how are you feeling? Yeah. Um, I can't think of a rugby based analogy <laughs> because I don't know anything about rugby. But yeah, how was your scrum this week? Yeah, are you in the scrum emotionally? You, yeah, do you feel like you're just always <laughs> in the scrum? Are you the quarterback of your own rugby yeah, team? Yeah, we know so little about rugby. <laughs> Which say. hand holds the racket? Mm, I know. So, um, yeah, those those were really bad experiences. And I know we're laughing about the rugby one because it is it is really ridiculous. The and rugby actually, detail is particularly absurd. Yeah. But actually, to I didn't give that enough um, proper credence there that the seriousness of how shit that experience was yeah because that is so sad the youngness of that as well I believe mm-hmm. the word is youth mm-hmm. the the like you're so vulnerable yeah. when you're younger and that person is freshly into adulthood and then they they're for their this might have been their first experience we don't really know well they waited but, two years for it. yeah they waited as well forgot about that so this was probably really had been needed for some time yeah. and then they yeah for they to just, be, it's just like such a letdown you know yeah massive disappointment so the the point of all of this is i reckon a lot of our listeners would be able to share a bad experience that they've had hopefully they would a lot of them will also have had a good experience yeah we don't want to be naive and think that there isn't bad experiences out there we know that we've had them ourselves yeah for sure and I just think that you know some of the people that I've interacted with online since we started this podcast like in um for example in reddit um and r slash therapy people will go on I just was exploring that subreddit and people will go on and share their problems and say things like, do you think I should, you know, try and go to therapy? Should I seek out therapy? And people tell me what type of therapy I should go and look for. And, you know, there was one young person who really was not getting on with their family at all and was really, really down and wanted to access therapy, but just couldn't do it. Like there was just no way for them to do it mm. in that they couldn't go to their doctor um, because they felt that that would need, you know, their parent would need to take them or they'd have to explain something to their parent. Right, yeah. And they couldn't then go privately because they're a young person. Yeah. Um, And I was thinking, you know, it, it's difficult because it's different everywhere. That very first Twitter thing that I was talking about that the person tweeted, um, so they were tweeting from America and they were basically saying not everybody's insurance covers the thing. So it yeah. just works differently. Yeah, there. and it's very complicated. And it's very complicated. But I did just want to point out that in our show notes every week, we put a list of helplines for all major countries. Mm-hmm. And also in our disclaimer, we say you can Google the Samaritans and the country in which you live. Yeah. And the reason for that is that, for example, that young person, if they were here I would say you can phone Childline and you can phone somebody and you can have that same person that you speak to on a weekly basis. It's the same with crisis lines here. You might end up, they will give you a call back mm-hmm. and sometimes they'll refer you into their counselling service. Yeah. So there are ways to access stuff. You know, whether or not that is going to be perfect every time. Yeah, it's like know. anything. It's like anything really. You there know? can be faults. But yeah, I mean, we we term this a therapy appreciation podcast, but we mm. can't really talk about therapy appreciation without acknowledging the bad. Yeah. 
and, and it, I think unfortunately it does happen. It does um, happen. And we can't get away from it. And that's that's OK. It's a therapy appreciation podcast. But you know that there's there's podcasts. I think there's a podcast called Bad Therapy. Oh, really? Yeah. I listened to one recently, um, which was called um, My Therapist Ghosted Me. Mm-hmm. And it's Vogue Williams and another Irish comedian. And it's hilarious. Like, And um, her therapist literally ghosted her. She was trying to send the messages to get wow. an appointment and they would not reply. And they tracked, she tracked them down at the gym, I think, in Can the hell? end. So there's lots of podcasts out there that talk about bad therapy or there's lots of, you know, different ways i think there's a a film or a tv series called bad therapy as well um and i'm but i'm sure that those podcasts will talk about the good experiences as well and so one would hope yes yeah and so while we want to encourage people to try and get the best psychological therapy that they can get yeah we acknowledge that that's not always going to be easy sometimes mistakes will be made for sure and you just got to keep trying. If I can get Jungian for a second, Ems. Please. What I think that my, if someone was to be like, what is the point of you making this podcast? Because mm-hmm. like 12 people listen to it. And we love those 12 people, but really like it's not going to make a massive impact. You're not going to change like the healthcare system or structural inequality or any of those things. I think our, well, my personal wish would be that we contribute to a conversation in a, in a sort of collective unconscious kind of way like put it out there that we think this thing is great mm. and even if those 12 people listen mm. and go oh maybe I yeah I'll reconsider or like yes I agree or someone who's like I've been to therapy a million times it's all been shit they only talk about rugby those people <laughs> are out there as well but <laughs> this is what I'm saying about um you know, you have to talk about your wage with your fellow employees, otherwise nothing will ever change. Mm-hmm. Or you have to join a union, otherwise we wouldn't have weekends or maternity maternity leave or any of those things. Yeah. I'm 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 feeling a real burn my bra moment. Like <laughs> I wanna change shit, but this is the only platform that we have as a as a podcast because we're two white women. Yes. Well, I for I want to say a couple of things. First of all, we Any don't that only have twelve listeners. Oh no, no, that's true. I'm I'm being facetious. No, no, it's just because I, you know, I want to acknowledge because we have loads of listeners and I love them so much. Um, and we have nine hundred listens on the podcast as we speak. That's so many. And we have ah ten no nine days to go to our three month podiversary. Right, and for a new podcast with no existing platform because we are unknown people. So we don't have, we're not famous celebrities or B-list celebrities or anything. Oh, okay. I'm getting up to the S list. (laughs) So um, that we've done pretty well with it. So people have liked it. People have enjoyed it. And that's really good. Um, But to just echo what you were saying, the most important thing for me happened when we released those first three episodes and somebody contacted us and said, they contacted me directly actually because um, it's somebody that I, is an acquaintance of mine. And they said, uh, I just wanted to let you know that this, this podcast was really important to me. This really, really helped me. I've been uh, on a waiting list for CBT and I was getting really nervous about going and didn't know what to expect. And you have really demystified this for me 
you know, and what I can expect. And I'm feeling really confident about going now. And I replied saying, you have made that this all worth it. Like you've really, that's it. I'm happy now. That's really good. I don't need anything else. You know, people say if you could help one person, it really is true because one person is really, really important. That's absolutely correct. So even though we do have over 100 listeners, actually, Hannah. Sorry. 112. Um, I don't actually don't know how many because you can, it's hard to see on all different platforms, but we have lots of listeners all over the world and we love them. Um, one listener, one listener is all that's important, really. Yeah. One person that you're making a difference to. And that's why we do it. And we do hope that we can also share resources that will be helpful to people. I think we have done that in different episodes. We said, what can you do about this? And we've talked about different ways of changing your thinking as time goes on. That's a really nice story. That's a lovely example. That's, uh, I mean, aside from anything else, the fact that we made someone feel less scared of it is really nice. Because I think we're both, you know, old therapy attenders. Like, it's not daunting anymore for me to turn up. Um, And I think I've kind of forgotten those first first session feelings of being like oh my god this is so scary yeah um it's easy to forget that mm-hmm. so that's really nice that we helped someone with that i know well done that person if you're listening yeah well done and i i hope that's going well for them the the cbt journey that they're on yeah it might not be as we've discussed in this episode <laughs> <laughs> no fingers crossed fingers crossed they get a good one yeah <laughs> and i've i've every hope that that is the case for people but also for our writers inner our writer inners tonight mm-hmm. um i just wanted to say you know i know that one of them did say that they later went on to get good therapy but i hope that the other ones haven't given up because yeah. there are really good therapists out there that are going to make a real difference. I have just experienced a, an extremely good therapy journey, which I'm drawing to a close now. Maybe we should talk about this next week. Finishing uh, therapy. Finishing therapy or how do oh. I know when I'm fixed? Can I yes. be fixed? The answer is no. Spoiler alert. The answer is no. But <laughs> you're not broken. You're <laughs> yeah, not you're not broken, broken to begin with. But yeah. that's a good idea. Yeah, that's what we will do. Let's do so that. So we have the the other plan that we have is um, that we will be recording another interview yeah. with a family therapist. Yes, um, which is something that we haven't talked about much yet because neither of us are family therapists. Nope. But I, um, because I worked with parents, I was adjacent, very adjacent to family therapy, mm-hmm. and then obviously my PhD, I used. Um, family systems theory in it so I know a little bit about it so I think it would be a useful discussion to get a real expert in and talk about that yeah that's going to be really interesting so that will be in a couple of weeks time I think excellent so in the meantime we will record an episode about finishing therapy yeah how does one finish therapy there's no problem for this week because this this was an episode of problems yes do we have time for a dream oh yeah yeah totally this one is so uh just like, I mean, it's ridiculous how on the nose it is. But I went through a period for a long time there of having only pregnancy dreams where I was just pregnant, constantly pregnant. Oh, right, I can't okay. remember if I ever spoke to you about this in I real life. I don't think so. No? No. 
Wow. I spoke to mom about it. Uh-huh. My mom, your sister. Yes. What did she say? She was like, well, I mean, you're in your late 20s, so your body obviously just wants you to have a baby. <laughs> and I was like, okay, thanks. Um, but so I had one a few nights ago and uh-huh. I hadn't had one in a while. And it, the theme is um, generally in the dream, I'm pregnant and I don't want to be. Yeah. And I'm just going like, oh my God, this is really happening. Like, I'm yeah. going to have to have a baby now. Mm-hmm. I really don't want to give birth. It's going to be so scary and sore and terrible. And then um, the baby arrives and there's usually something wrong with it. Oh no. In the case of the dream that I had two nights ago, it was, I just didn't really, I didn't warm to the baby. You weren't vibing off the baby? I didn't vibe at all. And the, I could tell the baby didn't really particularly vibe to me. <laughs> We were kind of looking at each other like, oh, God, right, okay, so you're here now. Um, And then I tried to give the baby up for adoption. Mm -hmm. um, And something went wrong with that. I think, like, the nurse came in, the nurse who had helped deliver my baby was Mm -hmm. like, you've kind of bonded now. um, So you can't can't give it up for adoption because this baby will be damaged then. Oh, right, okay. Um, And I woke up and I was... Never felt such intense relief that yeah. a dream was not real. Like I'm, a, I, I was like patting my stomach in bed, being like, "Oh my god, not pregnant! Amazing! <laughs> none of that, none of that is actually happening." Yeah, I. Well, what do I, you think that dream's about? Um, I don't know. I'm sure there's some some documentation somewhere about what pregnancy and birth dreams mean. I have them regularly, but it doesn't. But my, this is what I say every weekend. It, it matters to. It matters only in yeah. my self schema in my mind what it means. Yeah. Well, I mean, it would be very disrupting to your life plan yeah. and trajectory that you might you know want for yourself oh yeah no like all question of me ever really wanting to have children i think is off the table yeah that's my personal preference but yes yes financially um life plan wise it would be such a disaster mm. if i were to, to fall pregnant as mm-hmm. they say yeah um but i think the theme of the dream the yeah. message of the dream is self-acceptance all right, because okay. the baby is me <gasps> Do you see what I'm saying? I do, yeah. So it's my ongoing journey to like and love myself. Yeah, because all the figures in the dream really are a representation of your psyche, aren't they? That's yeah, what man. they say in Jungian analysis. That's exactly right. And it was really just mostly me and the baby looking at each other like, mm, not sure about oh. you, which is sad. You know, that you said something recently and you were like, the most adorable giant eyed baby that was ever born. And we were all delighted with you. Delighted to have you around. That's very nice, but it does not help heal my inner wounded child, apparently, because I'm still oh. having dreams. That was meant to be a joke and you look so sad. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I love you very much and I, I want to help heal your wounded inner child with through my familial love towards you oh that's thank you that's very nice i love you as well and also just because you know i was there when you were a baby yeah and you were wanted and adored i've seen pictures and i was extremely cute as a baby and a child and i continue to be extremely cute to this day cute right now but the inner issues are not reflected in my cuteness which is a shame and that's why i do such extensive dream work yeah in my old dreams trying to sort all that shit out I had a dream that I had a baby last night as really? well. Yes. So remember I told you earlier, so I, the, I had a lot of, had a really restless night 
I had a lot of confused dreams. You're not going to be surprised to know that there was shopping involved. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go, go shopping. I had to go shopping because the baby needed nappies. We were very unprepared for this baby once again. Yeah, dream babies are always a massive surprise. Yeah. Um, this is the second time that I've had. Remember, I had the triplets, and yes. I was like, "Oh, triplets! I had oh no idea." <laughs> and then I lost one, misplaced one. Oh God! Like one never arrived. <laughs> um, and so this one, this was a surprise baby, but it needed nappies. And then the dream mainly consisted of me, <laughs> like trying to find a parking space, driving around an unfamiliar shopping center, um, having to walk too far. To into the shop, not being able to find the right kind of nappies, that kind of thing. Shopping and issues. Shopping issues again. <laughs> Once again, I just, at one point I thought, why are you dreaming about this? It is so irritating. <laughs> just stop it. And oh woke my myself God. Out, out of it. But just as you were saying about that pregnancy dream, earlier on I was going to tell you the story of whenever I found out I was pregnant with Sam. Oh yeah. Because we had, we were taking COVID tests in the house earlier. So we were looking, we were worried that there was going to be two lines and we were then talking about how in a pregnancy test, you're like, oh my God, this is so significant when Mm. the two lines come up. And so when I was first pregnant with Sam, I was newly married, I was trying to get pregnant. So, um, and I knew there was a possibility I could be pregnant because my period was due, but we were socializing the night before you have to pee first thing in the morning, right? You need the first morning's pee. Oh, right. Because I the concentration of the hormone that you're testing for is highest in your the first morning oh, pee. Oh, I didn't know that. So I was in the routine of getting up and testing my first oh. morning pee to see if I was pregnant. But the night before we had been drinking and I had had some wine. So I was a bit, I woke up a bit hungover. So I peed, did the pregnancy test. And then I was like, that's not even it's pointless it's not going to be positive and I threw it in the bin right and then went back to bed and then later on that day I just felt a bit strange I felt kind of tired and I thought I never I didn't wait like the three minutes that you're supposed to wait to look at the pregnancy test and so I went and hooked it out of the bin and it had two lines on it you that is actual stuff in a sitcom that I have seen happen in sitcoms I know so I then phoned your mum my mum, your sister? My sister, yeah. And I said, and so I I did this thing and I, <laughs> and I put it in the bin. Do you think it would still be accurate? And she was like, yeah, I think it would Pretty be much. accurate. But if you want to be sure, drive to the shop and get another pregnancy test. So I drove to Forestside, panically b- bought a pregnancy test. The people <laughs> were looking behind the counter like, definitely <laughs> pregnant. Clearly pregnant the way she's going to be pregnancy tests <laughs> and um, took it home and, and took it. And it was positive. I phoned your mum back and I was like, yeah, it's positive. <laughs> and she said, I knew this would happen. And I she said, was pregnant as what? well. And she said, I'm pregnant as well. Oh, what a tangled web. Yeah. And I said, how pregnant are you? And she said six weeks. So we were almost exactly the same amount of pregnant. And now you have two children who are a week apart yeah. in age. They were born a week apart. Your children, my cousins. Yeah. though they call you auntie hannah yeah i like that's cute i know it is nice um so yeah i don't know why i shared that story but there you go because we were getting real about babies and pregnancy yeah i regularly have those kind of dreams though that's interesting because i thought i i did think what my mum said was probably accurate my Mm. body was like hello could you 
get fertilized, please? We well, mine might be doing the opposite. Mine might be going, um, you are running out of time if you want to have another baby. Fuck. Little does it know, I don't. Yeah. I really don't. I'm completely <clears throat> happy with the amount of babies that I've had. Thank you very much. Being biologically a woman is sort of a hassle. <laughs> it's a bit of a hassle, really? yeah. Well, this has been interesting. It's been a wee bit of a different one, Hans. Yeah, I like it. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you, Emma. Thanks, Thanks therapy. therapy. Um, I just wanted to give a short rendition of this song that I've made up here for this, especially for this episode. What? Ready? Is this a surprise? Bad therapy, <laughs> bad therapy, <laughs> the damage that you do. Bad therapy, bad therapy, <laughs> doing harm, re-traumatizing people, delaying recovery. It is no good for you. Wow. <laughs> when did you make this? Just earlier on. Fucking hell. Sorry for swearing. That's okay. That was really good. Well done. No problem. Thank you.